Thank you for downloading the Kol Hadash podcast. This is episode 52, originally recorded live on September 5th, 2013. Rabbi Shalom continues the exploration of famous Jewish narratives with the story of Anne Frank, her diary, and how its publication has its own story. My name is Otto Frank, and I used to be my own person, not just the father of Anne. You probably read her diary, or at least heard of it, and you know about our attic hiding place in a warehouse in Amsterdam where we hid for two years until we were discovered and sent to Auschwitz. Only I survived the war. In the First World War, I was an officer in the Kaiser's army. I ran a business in Germany until we left in 1933, and then I ran another in Amsterdam. In fact, we were hiding in my building. I was the father of two daughters, not one, Anne and her older sister, Margot, and I was trying to save nine people in that annex. My associates who hit us and fed us, they were in danger too, and two of them were also arrested. I, Otto, I have my own memories of that upstairs annex on Prinzengracht. But after the war, when my loyal friend Miep Gies knew for sure that Anne was dead, she told me that she had found my daughter's diary in the piles of papers left behind. I read that diary, and I knew that the diary of Anne Frank would tell the story of the Holocaust in a way nothing else could. So I cleaned it up a bit. Is that so wrong? Still, I sometimes wonder how it might have been different if I had kept the book for myself, or if I had written my own story of the annex. Instead of Anne Frank, Diary of a Young Girl, what about Otto Frank, Diary of a Middle-Aged Man? Maybe not. Is it wrong to imagine what a real person might have said? It's one thing to retell the Garden of Eden story in the voices of Eve and the snake, but it's entirely different to put words in the mouth of a real person, even more so a survivor of the Holocaust. When I was in graduate school, I was a teaching assistant for a course on perspectives on the Holocaust. One of the assigned readings for this class was a short piece by Cynthia Ozick called The Shawl which describes a mother and two daughters in a concentration camp. The class was shocked to learn during our discussion that the shawl, which is very powerful, was fiction and not memoir. And Ozick herself was not a survivor. She was born and raised in New York City with no personal, no family Holocaust experience. The class's reaction was, how dare she write a story about the Holocaust? when she had not experienced it herself. How dare someone tell fiction when some deny that the Holocaust even happened? How dare that Italian funny man, Roberto Benini, create a movie called Life is Beautiful, a comedy set during the Holocaust, where a man saves his son's life by pretending a concentration camp is a game of hide and seek? How dare they? How dare I? Rosh Hashanah is a time for reflection. Who are we? Where are we going? We see no external author dictating the plot of our story. 
And we also know that we cannot always determine how our narrative develops. Events beyond our control interfere all the time. Still, we can write our own pages in the book of our own life if we are willing to tell our story. Perhaps exploring how Otto Frank might have told his, we can learn something about retelling our own. How dare we do so in the voice of Otto? Three answers, humanity, necessity, creativity. Humanity. From the moment we discovered how to use language, we learned that we could learn from anyone what they felt, what they experienced, what they had discovered. A newborn baby of any ethnicity can learn any language on earth. At the same moment that we are male or female or Jewish or Irish or anything else, we are always human. A slave from North Africa who became a Roman citizen once wrote, I am a human being. Nothing human is alien to me. Humanistic Jews draw inspiration from all human wisdom, whatever its ethnic origin. And we temper pride in our own people with the humility of knowing that human progress is a common human achievement. People all over the world celebrate weddings with wine. And many cultures light a ceremonial fire in the winter as the night grows longer. They're just not lighting candles for the Maccabee children when they do so. I found in my experience there are three Jewish reactions to lights going on in December. For some, it's very familiar. It may be part of their family tradition. It's something they're used to seeing. For some, it's a source of frustration. As the lights grow brighter and brighter, they grumble more and more. And for some, it's a source of amusement. After all, it's always a Merry Christmas for the electric company. Judaism, Buddhism, Islam, secular philosophy, they are all responses to the human experience. Our common humanity is why we can write what we have not experienced, or else women writers could have no male characters, nor Jewish writers embody non-Jews. There would be no historical fiction, no science fiction, no fiction at all. We can write because we humans need to create. Here Otto jumps back in. You know, some people have objected to my publishing the diary at all. They claim Anne's diary was private, personal, not intended for publication. Publishing it was a last violation of Anne's personhood, they say. They forget, or else they don't know, that Anne herself heard a radio announcement to save war diaries, and she wanted hers to be one of them. They forget that Franz Kafka, when he was dying, asked a friend to burn his writings, which would have cost the world such beauty. They forget that I, Otto, I was the only survivor of my family. Can you even imagine? I could have treasured Anne's writing all for myself, and no one would have said anything against me. But that would not have helped me, and it would not have helped anyone else. What Anne wrote spoke to the world, not just to me, not just to Jews, not just to the Dutch. Anne's voice was a human voice, putting a human face on a human tragedy. 
If it were not for Anne's voice, would the world have been ready to hear Elie Wiesel by the time he was able to write his book, Night? Night did not appear in English until 1960, eight years after Anne's diary. If you read Anne's diary, you don't need to know how she died to know who she was while she lived. It's not only survivor testimony that keeps memory of the Holocaust alive. Sometimes it's voices that speak from the grave. You see, Otto says, that's the second reason your rabbi is speaking for me. Necessity. Anne Frank was 14 years old in 1943. Today, she would be 84. If we only rely on survivors to tell the stories and make the experience real, if we only rely on survivors to bring the dead back to life by giving words to grief and to love, then we will stop talking. Of course, commit no fraud. But if you admit it's fiction, of course, new voices. I remember a novel imagining that Anne had survived the war secretly and was living in New York. Or another called Einstein's Dreams, imagining what Albert might have thought about while changing all of science. Here is the lesson. Here is what I have to teach. My daughter did not plan to publish her diary because she did not plan to die. I myself was compelled to speak for her after she died. Many, many survivors have spoken of the need to bear witness, to tell the world what happened. How lucky was I, how lucky was the world to have so many of Anne's thoughts and feelings to hold on to. The lesson, if you do not speak for yourself, someone else will have to. I had to do it for my daughter, but will your children have to do it for you? What do they really know of who you really are? What will they say to the rabbi when he comes to talk with them after you are gone? If you consider yourself a humanist, a Jew, a good person, a loving parent, Will they have enough evidence? And what would you want them to remember? I remember much more of Anne and our time in the annex than just the diary. But when I read the diary, I recall so many of the moments that she described. And others, like her first kiss, those were hers alone. But now we all know her even better than I did then, even the day before we heard those terrible boots stomping up the secret staircase. Rabbi Shalom again. How dare I put words into Otto's mouth? Humanity, necessity, and creativity. The Holocaust poet Avraham Sutzkever wrote, step on words as on a minefield. Be very careful in what you write and say, but do not silence yourself. You run the risk of disrespecting memory but you might also touch people and move them in new ways as they remember the Holocaust or the Shoah or whatever they call it. Perhaps you'll motivate them to speak and to act when they might not have, and that is a good worth pursuing. And new generations respond differently. Fifteen years ago, many were appalled when two children of Holocaust survivors made a comedy show out of their experiences with survivor parents. They called their show, Taking the Shoah on the Road. It opened with a song. There's no business like Shoah, business like no business I know. 
Too much? Too soon? Well, Steve Allen likely coined the phrase, tragedy plus time equals comedy. And the very Jewish Mel Brooks got a lot of mileage from the Inquisition, what a show. And come to think of it, didn't Mel Brooks also write springtime for Hitler and Germany? Now, I have no song and dance for you today, even if I did have more talent. There were jokes told in the secret annex in Amsterdam and in ghettos and concentration camps, but context makes all the difference. What was it like reading Elie Wiesel's Night in the original Yiddish at 600 pages, the language in which he suffered and mourned and raged? What was it like reading Anne Frank's diary in her handwriting for the first time and then for the second? And what if the diary had never seen the light of day at all? Otto again. You have no idea how close that was the series of fateful choices that led to the diary's afterlife. I knew we had no future under Nazis. That's why we left Germany early in 1933. And again, we tried to leave Europe in 1938 and 1941. I planned ahead to hide in a secret annex, though we had to run early when Margot was called for questioning. And we had not planned on hiding everyone that wound up there. The Nazis who arrested us in 1944 just threw our papers around, and they left the diary. And if our friend Meep, who saved it, had actually read the diary, she would have destroyed it, because it named our helpers and their black market suppliers. In January 1945, Elie Wiesel left the Auschwitz sick barracks, afraid of what they might do to him, and refusing to let his father leave and die alone. I, Otto Frank, I was there in those very same sick barracks, and I stayed, and I was liberated, along with someone else you may have heard of named Primo Levi. If I had left, if Ellie had stayed, if the hiding spot had not been discovered, if, if, a thousand times if. What's the lesson here? You don't need a Holocaust to be surprised by life. Car accidents, and cancer and chance happen every day. We cannot stop them all. We cannot always manage them. Sometimes they manage us, and we struggle to stay afloat. What's the lesson? Prepare and plan as best you can. But you cannot be destroyed when the best laid plans are betrayed by an indifferent universe. Some survivors were broken and never recovered. And many came back to life from the land of the dead, creating new families and helping to build a new Jewish state or putting down new roots in the new world, even a new Amsterdam, now called New York. My Anne was a vibrant young girl whose only experience of the outside for two years was looking at a tree. But she was alive. The tree itself? That tree lived until 2010. And today, saplings from that tree have been planted all over the United States. I, Otto, I lived for 35 years after the war. I married again. But one does not get over something like that. At best, you get used to it. And that's another lesson. Don't plan to always get over, surmount, avoid tragedy. Sometimes we have to face it, to get used to it. Yes, learn from it, 
but also learn to live with it when it cannot be changed like the past. Ah, says Rabbi Shalom. Here's where I disagree with Otto. The past does change. It changes all the time as we ourselves change. There is no unmoving mover. There is no impartial observer of the course of human events. Every time we remember our own past or learn a detail of human history, that history changes because we ourselves have changed. If these voices, mine and Otto's, if these ideas change your reading of the diary of a young girl, the words on the page have not changed, but the experience of reading is still very different. As some of you know, this past spring, my half-brother Dorian died very suddenly. I was not very close with Dorian. He was over a decade older and from my father's previous marriage. So I learned a lot about him and how he connected with other people at his funeral. And that experience was both enlightening and disappointing. Why didn't I know before? All the more reason to talk now. And what I learned about my brother and the very fact of his death has changed what I thought I knew about him. Text and context dance a complicated tango. Would the diary of Anne Frank have been as impactful if she had lived? Would a book by Otto Frank about his daughter have been as beautiful? Impossible to know, but I doubt it. What we need to discover, each of us, is what we want in our own diary, our own sense of who we are. Rosh Hashanah is traditionally a serious day, the beginning of 10 days of reflection and repentance. We prefer apology and restitution here and now rather than repentance directed above. Yet we still use these days for self-reflection. What would you write about yourself and how you understand the world? Otto adds, that reminds me of one last thing, something your rabbi wrote about on his blog. <laughs> the question of why. In Auschwitz, Primo Levi was struck, and he asked, Warum, why? The guard said, here there is no why. We humans want there to be a why, a reason, a cause and effect we can understand. That's how civilization is built. The problem is, sometimes there just is no why. Any humanism in the face of a Holocaust, especially a Jewish humanism, must be limited. There will be no messianic perfect age because we are working with flawed material, human beings, even you. We invent antibiotics. Eventually, we make antibiotic-resistant bacteria. Clean your home, you might increase your children's allergies. The new problems may be better than the old ones. I would happily trade an allergy to dust for cholera. But we must accept our limitations, just as we accept that sometimes in the best of worlds, there is no why. Why did my Anne die and I live? Survivors of holocausts or plane crashes or earthquakes often ask themselves this. Why are you living in America while others are dying in Syria? 
in the Aleppo where your rabbi's father's parents were born. Some see providence in their own survival. Others see chance. My answer? Here there is no why. It's the wrong question. Yes, I made the best of tragedy by sharing Anne's beautiful words with the world, but I would easily trade my daughter's diary for my daughter's life. Any power that created such a trade deserves no praise, no gratitude. We in the annex, we were always on our own, except for all the other people who kept us alive. Yes, some evil person turned us in, and many good people kept us alive. My humanism survived when I remember those good people in dark times. Rabbi Shalom, one more time. In the Talmud, it is asked why Noah in Genesis is described as righteous in his generation. Was Noah simply righteous compared to a wicked generation? like a barrel of waste in a vault of vinegar, only fragrant by comparison? Or was Noah righteous when others were wicked? If that was so, would he have been righteous in any time, like perfume amid garbage? If fragrant there, how much more so elsewhere? The righteous, the good, are not only the perfect, the heroic, the mythical. They are also the human, the flawed, the people we know well and still admire. 2,000 years ago, Rabbi Hillel said, In a place where there are no people, strive to be a person. That is our perfection. That is our aspiration for the new year. Each one of us can be a hero in our own way. What will your story be? This podcast was recorded and produced by Ken Burke on behalf of Rabbi Shalom and Kol Kadash in conjunction with Repatriation Studios. I'm Ken Burke.